on this episode of Why Watch That. You can take a hike. How stupid could I be? A simpleton could see that you're no good for me. But you're the only one I see. You know that song producer? I do, but I don't know where it's from. It's familiar. It's Sarah McLaughlin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so familiar. Where's Nell Carter? Give me your freaking yeah. Remember that? I do. I still need one. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I remember watching that documentary too, going, I cannot believe you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. But it yeah. didn't make me sweat. Okay. Got it. <laughs> He wants to shape the waking world in his image. So who will win? Who will win? No one knows. We're the hungry hippos. (laughs) (laughs) If I want to go to school, I'll go to school and you won't be my teacher. I guarantee you that. We want to be entertained. Stop it. If you want to make points and all that, do it, but don't talk about it. And don't write lines where it's obvious. Mm. What do you think this is? You're going to educate all of us? You? Welcome to Why Watch That, your guide to the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. We're on a quest to go from channel to channel, platform to platform, and festival to festival to help you figure out what you want to watch. We do all the work so you don't have to. So get ready for some unexpectedly candid and entertaining reviews that will help you answer the ultimate question, why watch that? Hey, I'm Brandy, the producer. It's Chauncey, the critic. <laughs> We're back for another episode of Why Watch That. But before we get started, we want to remind you that we are now on video. So you could actually see us and not only hear us. How do you do that? You could visit us at whywatchthat.com or at uh, YouTube forward slash whywatchthat. And if you go to YouTube, the goal is to make sure you never miss an episode. So do not forget to subscribe. And like, I mean, we already know you're going to like it. So just like it. Click that, click it. (laughs) But stop playing, (laughs) y'all. Also, uh, producer, let me ask you this. Do people actually type in like youtube.com forward slash and then where they want to (laughs) go? Who does that? That's a good question. Maybe, maybe the what? The the baby boomers. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. They type what into are we Google. talking about today? Just stop it with these baby boomers. <laughs> no, they, type, they type into the URL. They usually type the URL into the Google search bar. Okay. As long, however you get there, that's all that matters. Yeah. It's not your path. But um, since this is not a show about intergenerational search engine um, strategy, it is a show about movies and TV. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about both. And we're going to kick it off with um, a first look of a movie brought to us by Hulu by the name of Prey. So, Critic, who's in it? Who should be watching? Mm. 
Well, it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, a screenplay by Patrick Olsen, or Asen, I should say. And it's starring Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, Michelle Thrush. We have Stormy Kippen here, Julian Black Antelope, and Dane DiLiegro. So the setting of this latest installment in the Predator franchise is the Northern Great Plains in September of 1719. Yeah. The story centered on Nabu, a young Comanche woman. Her father's dead, but he left her his axe for food preparation purposes. Forget all that, though. She wants to hunt. Why? Because no one thinks she can, of course. I mean, that's always the reason. Much to the dismay of her mother, who's aware of her other talents, such as the healing arts, her older brother says to her, you really think you're ready? You want to hunt something that's hunting you. Well, she gets her chance after she follows him on a hunt. You know what she finds. But what can she do about it? And will anyone believe her? She's an unproven commodity. Either way, it's up to her and her dog to show them. Also, there's more than one of the greatest screen antagonists that she has to contend with. The title just might have more than one meaning. Now, look, okay. This needs more energy, greater urgency. I mean, it's not like this is the triumph of writing or acting, despite what some people are saying. And the special effects sometimes work. Like the fight between her brother and the Predator is one of the highlights, definitely, and sometimes fail. The CGI animals are particularly unfortunate. Regardless, it was released on Hulu for a reason, regardless of what people are saying. Why is it on Hulu? It's clear why. So let's get things going. Let's ratchet it up. Plus, the <laughs> actors seem like they're playing dress up instead of inhabiting these characters. They're too casual, too modern, even when they see the Predator of all things. I don't buy it. I also don't buy how you can fail during a hunt of a big cat, need help escaping from it, regardless of what they say, and still be able to go against the Predator and survive. Someone needs to explain that to me beyond the lame attempt from her brother. And don't give me the whole, well, she hones her skills over the course of the movie and essentially grows into a warrior who can take on the seemingly invincible Predator. Not buying it. Also, the whole, you don't see me as, me as a threat, which makes me dangerous idea, just, it can take a hike. How stupid could I be? <laughs> a simpleton could see that you're no good for me, but you're the only one I see. You know that song, producer? I do, but I don't know where it's from. It's familiar. It's Sarah McLaughlin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so familiar. <laughs> Everybody go to YouTube and look at the video for that. <laughs> okay, so either all that just doesn't make sense or the predator is a joke. Take your pick. Neither option is acceptable to me, which leads to this ultimate question. How am I supposed to care when things make little sense? and when the characters are so wooden or dense. Mm. You can't have tension, scares, and suspense if there's nothing to root for. I need recompense. Okay. You like my poem? Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, this really is more than one movie. 
Uh, everything doesn't connect to the Predator. Why don't they just drop the Predator into TV's 1883? That's what this looks like. And it doesn't feel much different. Hmm. After all, the Predator isn't the only being who needs to be checked in this movie. Guess who else has it coming to him? Overall, though, I've gotten that off my chest. I'd say it's decent. And before the end, they do show some restraint with what the characters are capable of doing. So if you want to watch a quasi-period piece Predator movie that's, mm, you know what to do. Or how about this? You could just watch Apocalypto. I started watching this producer. I was like Apocalypto. I kept thinking of it. Mm. That was set 200 years earlier than this. And it depicts a fictional version of Mayan civilization. Because you can say whatever you want about Mel Gibson, about the historical accuracy of the film, anything else. But it's a marvel of immediacy and it's flat out brutal entertainment, especially once you get to the human sacrifices and so on. You can't take your eyes off it and you want to. Perhaps Mel should have directed this one too. All right. There you have it. Pray. Have you watched any Predator movies, producer? Predator. Oh my gosh. Hold on. That's a no. You you would remember. Stop it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> now all of them are on Hulu. Mm-hmm. All of them. So you can watch all the Predator movies oh, okay. there. The first one is definitely the best. I mean, it's not even close. The, the first one is a great action movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hold on. Is that like a Predator versus something? Yeah, there's Alien versus Predator. That's one of them. Maybe. They're two, they made two of those. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Go to the original from like 1987 with Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. and, you know, Carl Weathers and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's Predator. All right. All right. Yes. Maybe some weekend watch and let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> on to our next first look. We have uh, 13 Lives brought to us by a Prime Video. And this is something that's directed by Ron Howard. And um, the producer is going to tell us who's in it and who should be watching. You're the producer. The critic <laughs> is going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, so like you said, Ron Howard directed a screenplay by William Nicholson uh, based on a story that he and Don McPherson uh, created. It's starring Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton, Tom Bateman, and a lot of Thai actors as well. All right. So we start on day one. That's Saturday, June 23rd of 2018. A boys' soccer team called the Wild Boars is at practice in Thailand. After practice, they decide to visit a famous cave in the area, and their coach goes with them to make sure they get home safely. But one of the boys doesn't join them. There's a party they're supposed to attend later on after all. But as the party begins, they're nowhere to be found, and their parents are frustrated that they made a stop at the cave. They should have come straight to the party. And why are they out so late anyway? So the parents decide to go pick them up, It's starting to rain outside and they get soaked riding back from the cave on their bikes. Okay. But this is no ordinary rain. The monsoon season is starting early. But that can't be. I mean, the cave floods every year at that time, right? They arrive at the cave. The only sign of the boys and their coach are the bikes they left at the entrance. It's already starting to flood. And the guys who arrived ahead of the parents to locate the wild boars went as far as they could inside the cave in search of them. 
the Royal Thai Navy SEALs are called in. A man who's mapped the cave gives counsel. Time is of the essence. And we know the boys have gone at least 800 meters in, but just how far have they gone? The SEALs' first attempt fails. They've got to pump water out of the cave. They need to mobilize volunteers. Days are passing by. Also, why can't they just stop the source or sources of flooding in the mountain above the cave? What's the best course of action? Many different people and factions answer the call, including government bureaucrats and private citizens, and eventually foreigners, many of whom have relevant expertise, most notably two British blokes who specialize in underwater cave rescues, played by Vigo and Colin. Later on, they're joined most notably by Joel Edgerton as Dr. Harris, who has a particular skill that might prove crucial in a surprising way. All of these people work to solve myriad problems, but who will succeed in finding the boys and their coach? This cave, with water rushing in nonstop, poses unpredictable perils. Plus, with all these people from different backgrounds and locations around the globe, there's bound to be friction. But ultimately, the question is this. When someone finally does find the 13 trapped lives, what will their discovery be? A tragedy or an impossible problem that must be solved? Whoa, okay. Hmm. If you like rescue movies based on real events, watch this. I mean, it's really that simple. This is straightforward and professional, which I think is the way to tell this kind of story. And they keep things moving from challenge to challenge, both in the cave and outside it. I appreciated its simplicity and its focus on the task at hand. They didn't get in the way of the story. Thank you. So I'm pretty sure that this will hold most people's attention just fine and get you to care more and more over its runtime. Another plus is that you could watch this with the entire family as long as the kids aren't too little. Just know that you'll have to read subtitles at times. I just couldn't believe that some of this stuff even happened. I really couldn't. So, I mean, this to me, it got me. I was with them. It's good. Thank you. Hmm. Okay. I'm random, random thought. When I read the title initially, 13 Lives, and you said that the, guy, the kids are riding on a bike and it was a monsoon in my mind, I had this story of... um. Like them turning into like some type of cat, like some type of sci-fi, like play on it. Um, oh so my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and and thankfully that is not what it's about. It is about the true story. If you know about uh, the Thai cave rescue, yeah. No, what, what what's about. what you got yeah. for that well, part? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's what this is based on. Yeah, and I didn't. I really didn't know the particulars mm-hmm. of that story. I remember what it happened, like the outcome, but I didn't really know what had happened. Mm-hmm. So it was good to watch it um, and and to see what was what was going on. I mean, some of this stuff, even though you kind, if you know the outcome, you know how it's going to end up. Mm-hmm. But even then, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, whoa, wow, yeah, cool. All right. So next, we got a um, a movie sneak peek uh, coming to us in theaters on Friday, August the 12th, um, by the name of Fall. Who's in this? What is it about? Who should be watching? So it's directed by Scott Mann, who co-wrote it with Jonathan Frank. It's starring Grace Caroline Curry, Virginia Gardner, Mason Gooding, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes. McSteamy himself. I think he was that one. (laughs) So Becky, her husband, and her best friend Hunter are out on a climb. 
They're thrill seekers. You know what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. After it does, Becky's father, played by Jeffrey, is concerned for his daughter. But Becky's content to wallow in grief. She shuns her father, who wants to know whether her hubby will feel the same way if the roles were reversed. Thanks, Dad. Wow. (laughs) Nice and sensitive. Now, not long after that, Hunter shows up with a proposition. How about we go climb a 2,000-foot abandoned radio tower? Yeah, you know, it's just the fourth highest summit in the country, so what could go wrong? (laughs) Plus, this will help Becky kick her quite rational newfound fear (laughs) in the (laughs) you-know-what. See where this is going? I'm going right to the review. (laughs) Now, the the relationships and other goings-on here either aren't developed enough or believable enough or both. I thought the father-daughter relationship was ridiculous at the beginning. But wait till you see what happens with everything else. I mean, give me a break here. Just like some of this stuff. Where's Nell Carter? Give me a break. Remember that? I do. I still need one. Yes. There you go. (laughs) I used to know that whole song and I forgot. (laughs) So I'm like, making the break. Not a moment too late. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not even in my brain. <laughs> I'm ready for anything. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway. A real throwback. <laughs> <laughs> no. What they should have done here is just made this about the climbing without all the interpersonal chicanery. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Plus, I did believe that these people could climb 10 flights of stairs, let alone mountains and towers. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so if you want to watch this, this is the reason why. If you enjoy the nauseating thrill of heights, that's it. So if that's you, and it might be, you don't care a lick about writing or anything else, this might work. Just be sure to watch it on a big enough screen if you plan to wait for it to be released outside theaters. Uh, on a thrill scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it about a 5 it could be better. It could be worse. It's fine, I guess. Uh, otherwise, for a better thrill with better um, everything, <laughs> you could watch The Aeronauts with Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. That's on Prime Video. It's not great, but it's responsible. Or for the real deal, watch Free Solo, mm-hmm. an Oscar-winning documentary about legendary climber Alex Honnold that made me, me, break out into a cold sweat at the end. I like that is the real thing. Got it. All okay. right. Okay. I thought about. I mean, not that it's the same thing as far as climbing, but I thought about that movie with the guy who walked the tightrope. What's that tightrope movie? Oh yes. Now that one also has a documentary and a fictionalized version. Uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt Levitt played him. I forgot the name, but the documentary is better. Mm, okay. Of that. I mean, it, of course it is. Like when well, you yeah, have something that thrilling, <laughs> yeah. watching the real, real thing, thing, it just adds to it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know exactly what, what you're talking about. But the documentary, I remember watching that documentary too, going, I cannot believe mm-hmm. you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. But it yeah. didn't make me sweat. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, the, 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 the critic has asked for a break. He talked about breaking out into cold sweats. And um, if you want to help him with one of those things, you can uh, 
support our podcast by buying us a coffee or a critic a cold drink if you have not heard why watch that it's now on buy me a coffee buy me a coffee is a place where you can help to support our podcast by providing any type of support so go over to our um buy me a coffee page which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that yeah Get me a break. Get me. Get me. Y'all just in everybody's head. Look, for these youngins, they like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? And it'll be on TikTok in like a week. It'll be like. Opening to the opening sequence is hilarious. Yeah. No, I'm visually remembering some of the words. Yeah. So now, love, as we go back, memory lane, let's come back forward to our tv series premieres of a new series from a uh, netflix by the name of the sandman um so what is the sandman who's in it who should be watching yeah now this is uh based on a comic uh written by neil gaiman uh he developed the show with david s goyer and alan heinberg it's starring tom sturridge boyd holbrook vivian achiampong and Patton. Oswald. All right. So he's called Morpheus, not from the Matrix, or Dream of the Endless, or the titular Sandman. He's the king of dreams and nightmares. He creates them and controls them so we don't lose our minds. His siblings are destiny and desire and despair and delirium and death. One day, he leaves his kingdom to pursue a rogue nightmare because in the waking world, dreams rarely survive while nightmares seem to thrive. But what form does this rogue nightmare take? Well, to find out, we end up in England in the year 1916. At first, we see Dr. John Hathaway of the Royal Museum as he visits Mr. Roderick Burgess, who prefers to be called the Magus, as in sorcerer. Both have lost their sons recently. Dr. Hathaway's lost his only son, while the Magus has another son whom he barely recognizes. How will that play a part in this tale? Regardless, Dr. Hathaway has brought a certain grimoire to the Magus, which will allow this wizard to resurrect those beloved sons. But that scheme, which involves the Sandman, along with his sand, helm, and ruby, of course, the implements of his power, leads to a major unintended consequence. It leads to the sleeping sickness. But does the Magus care? And what does the rogue nightmare think of his efforts? Remember, the Sandman was after this rogue nightmare and everyone has a motive. And then after that, a long time passes and the benefits of the scheme for the Magus and his disciples have endured. But what about everyone else? It's a battle for control of the Sandman's power between the Sandman and his allies on one side, the Magus and his allies on the other, and the Magus' living son, Alex, along with a woman named Ethel in between. There's also that pesky rogue nightmare who just won't go away and who has his own desires. He wants to shape the waking world in his image. So who will win? Who will win? No one knows. We're the hungry hippos. <laughs> <laughs> The answer will be over 100 years of the making. And in addition to the aforementioned characters, and uh, it'll also involve the Sandman's loyal librarian, Lucien, Cain and Abel, 
a magical talking raven with the voice of Patton. Constantine, they call it. I'm like, you know, Constantine, mm -hmm. you British people. Constantine, <laughs> the fates, Ken and Barbie, Lord Azazel, uh, Lucifer Morningstar, the Jack-O-Lantern. I mean, a Jack-O-Lantern. Yes, pops up. It'll also involve a man who just wants everyone to be honest to save the world from its lies in the most chilling way possible. Mm. And that's as much as I'll give you. Now, the producer's going, what in the world is the show? Yeah, no idea. <laughs> well, you'll need to watch it to understand how all the pieces fit together. Mm. Now, I haven't read uh, Neil's comic, which was also the inspiration for the Lucifer TV series. Oh, yes, oh, all of you Lucifer fans, mm -hmm. along with the Constantine movie and TV show. Mm -hmm. So I'm unburdened by that knowledge. I can just review what I've seen. And the first thing that came to mind when I started watching this was that this show looks somewhat like a blend of the miniseries adaptation of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Narl and Gaiman's own Good Omens. It's a British fantasy with lots of dark hues and intermittent period piece intentions, which it loses as time progresses. And while the effects look like effects, they're fitting for the genre. I mean, just look at how they use them during Morpheus's battle with Lucifer. They, say, they serve the story beautifully in a standout sequence. I, I think that was my favorite. Also, the pace had enough momentum to keep my attention and it doesn't have comedic aspirations uh, which was just fine by me. I can't say I loved all of it. Much of the fifth episode, for instance, which centered on the honesty-obsessed man, was a bit much. And the whole business with the dream vortex at the end, you'll see what that means. It was unconvincing and surprisingly dull, which resulted in a weaker end to the season. But I did want to know what was going on enough of the time, and I definitely liked a good chunk of this season. Another plus is most of the cast an eclectic bunch that fits Gaiman's world vision. Uh, Tom Sturridge as the Sandman, uh, he's like a British version of Keanu Reeves, sorry, playing the crow. So imagine that, a British Keanu Reeves playing the crow. Uh, Jenna Col Coleman as Constantine and Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian Nightmare have enough weight to their acting to pull those things off. I got a kick out of hearing, hearing Patton's voice come out of a raven. And that's as close to comedy as you get in the show. Uh, casting British acting royalty, including Charles Dance as the Magus, uh, Jolie Richardson as the older version of Ethel, and David Thewlis as the aforementioned uh, Mr. Honesty. That was smart. And almost everyone else in the cast has some sort of quirk or interest to them. So if you like any of the shows I mentioned, along with Gaiman's American Gods especially, even though I probably prefer this to American Gods, and you wouldn't mind a serious take on the quirky fantasy uh, genre, give this a go. It's a strange sort of good at its best, but it loses something when it veers too far away from the Sandman, and certainly at the end, when some of it isn't good at all. Mm. Hmm. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> all right. In <laughs> <And> two hours... <laughs> And we sang into the next segment of our TV <laughs> sneak peeks. Um, brought to us by a series, brought to us by a Prime Video, um, A League of Their Own. I'm assuming this has something to do with the movie. Um, Does it? <laughs> let us know <laughs> what, is, what is it about? Who should be watching? 
Yeah. And this is uh, developed, yes, based on the movie by Abby Jacobson and Will Graham. It's starring Abby, along with Shantae Adams, Darcy Carden, Roberta Colindres, Gabim Misola Ikumel, Kelly McCormack, Priscilla Delgado, and Nick Offerman. All right. So... On Friday, Prime Video will offer us this. It's 1943. And the boys are away at war, so the girls will play baseball at home. Or so businessman and financier Morris Baker prays. But these ladies don't know how to be ladies. So who would want to watch that? The burgeoning deterioration of American society will only accelerate. With that said, let's talk about some of the main characters who are responsible for this country's moral degradation, starting with Carson. She leaves home while her hubby, who's fighting in the war, or is he, is left in the dark. She hates herself for it, but she's the kind of person who's always unsure of herself. Now, on her way to the tryouts, she meets Greta and Joe. What could be the possible connection among them beyond friendship? Hmm. There's also Max and her married and artistic comic book loving friend Clance. Now Maxine's mama makes sure that she imparts her wisdom whenever she can. She owns a beauty salon that she wants to pass down to her daughter. That's how you have control in this country. But baseball is calling out to Max. If only she can convince someone to let her play. After all, she has to face extra obstacles because she's black and a woman. And she's a black woman with secrets. There's also two Latinas, ace pitcher in the making Lupe, who can speak English fluently, and Esti, who certainly cannot. But as a Cuban, Esti doesn't face the same kind of racism that Max does. Esti is readily accepted, at least early on, despite her lack of English knowledge. Well, they explore the reasons behind that. And finally, there's manager and coach Dove Porter. But what kind of coach is he? More on that later. So all of these people and more end up attached to the Rockford Peaches, of course, in one way or another. And everything gets more and more complicated by the episode. Now, there are whiffs of the personalities from the movie characters, but that's it, whiffs. Plus, the story is broadened because it's a TV show, not a movie, especially to include the Black experience and the queer experience at the time. I'm fine with all that. Just do it right. uh, Look, okay. Here's a rant coming. I can feel it. (laughs) And not necessarily about this show, but I'm sick and tired when they promote movies and TV shows, they promote like some sort of lesson. If I want to go to school, I'll go to school and you won't be my teacher. I guarantee you that. We want to be entertained. Stop it. If you want to make points and all that, do it, but don't talk about it. And don't write lines where it's obvious. What do you think this is? You're going to educate all of us? You? Hollywood? <clears throat> Back to this. I'm sorry. So, as usual here, <laughs> when they just honor the characters in the time period, it's better than when they throw in agenda points. Don't get in the way of your own story. We get it. We get it. 
Also, some of the lines are a bit contemporary, as per effing usual, for instance. No. In 1943. <laughs> and that actually provides a missed opportunity for these writers. Restrictions, the cousins of necessity, are also the mothers of invention. If you have to write dialogue that has the flavor of the time period, and much of the dialogue does, I'll say that here, you'll have to be creative. That's a great thing. You are from today, so it'll be difficult to not write a story that's relevant. Focus less on that and more on honoring these people believably. However, the biggest problem here is the coach. Tom Hanks looms large, and there's no way around him. But they tried to circumvent that iconic performance. Coach Dove matches his nickname. And to that I say no, 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 and no again. Now, they'll probably say to me, hey, we're not doing the movie, and we need to update it to make it fresh and relevant, and our coach isn't everything he peer appears to be at first. And to that I say, no, 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 double no, <laughs> triple no, no to the infinity power, no. If there's one thing you have to do, if you want to call this a league of their own, you called it that. It's to make the coach a real piece of work, not a piece of work in disguise. I mean, which planet are we living on, producer? To me, that's unforgivable. And I love Nick Offerman. Love him. In the movie, the coach starts out as the major obstacle, the major threat, a sort of lovable villain. Even. And that's missing here, which leaves a hole in the story the size of, are you crying? Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying at baseball. Where is that? Hmm. In the movie, he makes you really want to root for these women, and you actually love him for getting you to be that involved. <laughs> but that's no more, my friends, not here. And frankly, the other characters here don't live up to those in the film either. Not one. I mean, give me John Lovitz. Give me Gina Davis. Give me Lori Petty and Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna. No fire here. <laughs> and actually, to be honest, at the start, the first episode, I didn't mind it. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go to the next one. Second episode, that's when I lost interest. And then when I got to the third episode, just to give them a chance to change my mind, all I wanted to do was stop, and I did. Uh, regardless, if a coaching story with no bite doesn't turn you off, and if you want to explore the personal lives of these women via okay storylines, have at it. Otherwise, you've been warned. I mean, you could just watch the movie again, which is also available on Prime Video. The movie is entertaining even now. But this... It's not that this is bad. It's just not right. It's not satisfying. And I almost can't believe it. Almost. All right. Well, there's also another thing coming out on Friday, August the 12th on uh, Apple TV Plus by the name of Five Days at Memorial. Um, so I can't tell what this is about by that title. So you're going to have to definitely fill us in on this one. <laughs> what is it about and who should be watching? Yeah. And when I talk about it, it might come back to mind. You might okay. start going, oh, this is what this is about. And this is our final thing to review. So let's see if we end on a good note. Mm -hmm. I hope to. I Let me tell people, and I will speak for uh, other critics. <sighs> we don't want to be critical in a negative way. We don't. We would prefer that everything is good. It makes the job easier. So, you know, stuff that you don't like, it it's work. In quotes. Hmm. 
it's only so far you can go when you're watching movies and TV shows. But it's it's like it's not that's not what you, how you want to spend your time. Would you want to spend your time watching something you don't like? And then and then on top of it, you have to figure out how to talk about it. Anyway, see, I was being nice to the critical profession for once. Look, Look at you. You know, I have like the Grinch's heart. It grew. What What is that? I forgot what it says in the story. Me too. A little it's though. A little <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, with all of that said, five days at Memorial. Uh, this is coming to us from John Ridley and Carlton Cuse. Whoa. Uh, the cast is huge, including Vera Farmiga, uh, Cherry Jones, Adapero Oduye, Cornelius Smith Jr., Julianne Emery, uh, Molly Hager, Michael Gaston, and others. Huge, sprawling cast, and you'll find out why. So this is also based on the nonfiction book of the same name by Sherry Fink. So it's 2005, not long after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. We find out that Memorial Medical Center, as per usual, provided shelter to those who needed it. But this time, 45 people ended up dead. Why? Who's to blame? And can anyone be held responsible? We flash back to just before the storm hits. Dr. Anna Poe, played by Vera, enters the hospital as people are beginning to hunker down. One of her colleagues, Dr. Horace Boltz, tells her that she doesn't need to be there. They have enough doctors. But she would rather be at work than at home. Her husband can take care of the house, even though her preference would be for him to be with her. But she believes in the power of prayer. Also, she chooses to hang with the nurses instead of her fellow doctors. They're all in this together after all. But this is her first hurricane at the hospital. And while her soberly low-key optimism is appreciated by the nursing staff, it isn't shared. Now, of course, there are plenty of other cast members we get to meet, including doctors, directors, administrators, patients, and the patient's loved ones, all played by capable actors. And one person will prove pivotal as they try to decide what to do without any outside guidance after the levees break. And that person is Incident Commander Susan Muldrick, played by Cherry Jones. In addition, in the same building, on the seventh floor, is Life Care, a long-term care facility with better funding. How will their experience compare to the hospitals below? Regardless, they all share the same building, so it'll be a terrible roller coaster ride for all of them, and we already know it'll end in tragedy and outrage, but for whom? And what will be the repercussions? Just how did they wind up with 45 bodies on the floor. Who quite literally made life and death decisions and why did they have to? Should any heads roll? And if so, will they? Oh, okay. Now, John Ridley, again, created this with Lost's Carlton Cues. They co-developed, wrote, directed, and executive produced this show. And don't forget that John won an Oscar for writing 12 Years a Slave, and was the creator, showrunner, co-writer, and co-director of American Crime. Not American Crime Story. American Crime for ABC. Now, this show is produced by ABC Signature, after all. So the hope is that it reaches the heights of best moments of American Crime. But not too long after Five Days at Memorial starts, when Dr. Horace is interrogated, they have these interrogation scenes. I just detected a whiff, just the merest whiff of artifice. I was on my guard. After that, however, 
The smell of that whiff didn't linger, thankfully. The show settled in quickly after that. They started to build the characters and relationships quite well. And early on, that's really this show's bread and butter, the people, the interpersonal stuff. On the other hand, during the more tense action-like moments, the show suffered from less than credible execution. It seemed more like a show for ABC uh, rather than for Apple TV+. Plus. Seemed more network than streaming service. But the actor saved it from failure when things fell a little flat. Those are my thoughts after the first two episodes. Then I got to the third episode, which depicts the start of the worst of the flooding at, on day three, of course. And this show rose to the occasion. Many will find it hard to watch knowing what will happen, but it's urgent and effective. It's this show's reason for being. It quickens the pulse. It'll give you the urge to do something even though you can't. Their mix of going from one tough decision to the next, from one impending tragedy to the next, with real news footage, simulated footage interspersed throughout, does begin to work. Take a deep breath. And then after the fifth episode, because it's five days, one episode per day, they show us the criminal investigation into the disaster. Um, after watching what happened in the hospital, that investigation challenges us to decide what we would have done in the situation and whether what actually was done was appropriate. In those final three episodes, I thought that some things were very effective and others could have been omitted. Uh, mainly arising from the introduction of the two investigators from the state attorney general's office. Since I'd already seen what occurred at the hospital from this show's perspective, the opinions of those two outsiders didn't land as powerfully for me. It was more effective when they focused on the thoughts of the people who were there and their loved ones. And they don't all agree. All in all, though, this is the kind of show you hope is good. And thankfully it is. It's very good especially episodes three, four, and five. So if you find yourself drawn to network TV dramas about multi-layered tragedies featuring sprawling casts, if both American Crime and Dope Sick were your kind of thing, you'll want to see Five Days at Memorial. It's tough, tough stuff, which is exactly as it should be. So buckle in tight and know that you'll probably want to have a discussion with someone after you watch it that might get heated if you do. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. Movies, yeah. TV. It's shows. Emmy's time for them. They're like yeah. limited series. Yeah, they're going to be nominated. Okay. They should be. All right. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, guys. That is another episode of Good Old Why Watch That, where we help you figure out what movies and TV shows to watch that make sense for you. And we try to end on a positive note. Wait, look at that. Even a tragic show. I mean, people are going to be crying oh, watching wow. some of this. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Like you, the, day three, four, and five, those three episodes, like. They get, they get you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Hit the tissues and hit the subscribe button. Till next time. Thanks for joining us. For up-to-date info and to share what's on your watch list, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Why Watch That, and on Twitter at WWT Radio. Also, you can visit us at whywatchthat.com. And while you're at it, don't forget to go ahead and rate Why Watch That Radio on iTunes. Let's keep the conversation going.